Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning with Lyle and well, it's going to be whoever turns up today. We'll see what happens, but Liam's going to uh, fill in here for a little Jump bit. Jump it in for a red hot minute, just, just until someone rocks up. Which we don't know whether will happen or not. But, no. Um, you all need to be praying for Lawson this morning. Uh, he he was supposed to come in, he's, but he's had a bit of a... I found a text message on my phone this morning that had arrived at about 3.30 in the morning, I think it was, and he was not doing well. No. Had a... Had a bit of a rough night. Yeah, I'd bit say. of a rough night. Yeah. Bit, of a, bit of a stomach bug going on there. So quite um, unwell. Lawson was supposed to be here. Lawson is not here. Kelvin is coming in. I'm not sure when Kelvin's going to get here, but we will simply press on between now and then. Um, Liam, what are you thankful for this morning? Uh, this morning, I'm thankful because over the weekend, uh, on Sabbath afternoon, uh, Saturday after church, I got to go have lunch by Lake Macquarie right here in the Hunter region, and got to go for a swim. And then after that, on, on Saturday evening, I played uh, some, some board games with some good friends at, from church, and it was just really positive to be around uh, a bunch of people, which was really, really nice. Sounds fantastic. What was the water temperature like? Look, it could certainly have been a bit warmer. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't quite up to North Queensland standard? No, definitely not. <laughs> um, I, I, it was quite cold. But, um, but we were only in for a bit. We were in to, to get the refreshment of the water, not to necessarily enjoy the pleasantries of water. <laughs> but at the same time, it would be significantly better, while not up to North Queensland standard, significantly better than South Tasmania standard, which is what I'm used to. So, uh, 100%. What are you I, thankful for, Lyle? I'm thankful that uh, the water temperature is rising, amongst other things. I, I just had a great weekend. Did all kinds of good things. Hung out with some good mates on uh, on Sunday. Did some fun things there. Worked on my house Sunday afternoon, that kind of stuff. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. So we're going to have a bit of a uh, mix around this morning. We're going to start off with uh, some more serious news and positive news will be coming up. Uh, this one's coming out of uh, the Roman Catholic Church and they seem to just pop into the news all the time, probably because they are the biggest uh, church, around about 1.3 um, billion Roman Catholics around the world. And Currently, this is a church that is hemorrhaging priests at an alarming rate, especially in Europe and the United States. They are now down to one priest per 3,000 members worldwide. So that's pretty drastic when you stop and think about it. Uh, Here in New South Wales, I think if you were to compare that with the Adventist Church, we would probably be, I don't know, 1 to 100, 1 to 200, something like that whereas they're down to one, to three, one in 3,000. Uh, in the year 2017 to 2018, Europe alone lost 2,675 priests. That's a big hole to suddenly get blown in the middle of your church. Um, worldwide, sisters, so it's not just priests, but sisters decreased by 7,249 uh, across that same period. And the worrying thing is that seminarians continue to drop. Now, what is interesting is that the places where seminarians are managing to hold their own and even increase is across Asia and Africa, which is meaning that increasingly the West has uh, foreign leadership in it. Anyway, uh, they're looking at some of the reasons why. 
uh, I would say, and this is just my anecdotal observation, it would be pretty tough to take a calling as a Roman Catholic priest as a young man when celibacy is involved. That would be a major, major block. Now, there are a lot of things about celibacy that we have spoken about many, many times on this show that have uh, resulted in you know a lot of the sexual scandals that have rocked the Roman Catholic Church. It was highlighted by the Royal Commission as one of the areas that they needed to change. And Francis seems to continue to be resistant to change in this area, even though there are calls both within the church and outside of the church to get rid of the doctrine of celibacy. Uh, but, you know, it would just be a massive, massive block. And I think that if he changed that policy, he could probably solve a lot of the problems with uh, finding priests to be able to yeah run the church. Some of the other areas that are being looked at, and of course uh, celibacy is not the one that is that they're that they're blaming. Even though to me it seems to just be obvious, it's not something that's in the Bible. So it's a tradition of the church, and so therefore it can be changed. So why not uh, secularization? Um, the sexual and financial scandals. So a lot of uh, priests becoming discouraged over those. And, of course, COVID. Now, this is interesting. So when you've got a church that is based on fees and offering plates rather than systematic tithing, it creates big, big problems when churches are not open and offering plates are not going around. It creates bigger problems, I should say. So if you've got a church that's based on systematic tithing, which is the biblical model, um, people are going to continue with that systematic giving regardless of whether there's a pandemic or not. When you have a church that is not based on systematic tithing but relies on the offering plate going around each weekend and that hasn't happened since March, then a lot of these uh, you know, church dioceses, etc., are just running out of money and they're, going to, they're having to put people off. Um, catechists. Uh, so that's, for those unfamiliar with the uh, Roman Catholic system, a catechist is somebody who is the equivalent of a Sunday or a Sabbath school teacher. So this is a volunteer person. In the Americas, they have dropped by 41,000 people have pulled out of being catechists. So that's massive. Uh, so yeah, that's an interesting story. It'd be interesting to uh, sort of watch that space and see what Francis does about it. It's a big problem that he needs to address, and I think he needs to address it by dealing with the issue of celibacy. That would solve a number of problems all at once, particularly in relationship to the sexual scandals that continue to just sort of rock that particular church. Now, here's an interesting uh, an interesting suggestion. Some people have put forward the idea that the perfect pandemic greeting is Namaste. So Namaste is a Hindu greeting, and the way you do it is you place your hand over your heart and give a slight bow to the other person. So it is contact-free. And Namaste is not a terribly foreign word to Westerners. A lot of Westerners use that word. Uh, particularly people who do yoga. Uh, a lot of yoga classes begin or end with uh, uh, namaste. Uh, 
and you know it's something that has crossed over from the east into the west. And so the question is, is this a good word to use? Should we be using this word? Should we should we just transfer to namaste uh, for the period of the pandemic? Okay, so you might all be wondering, what does namaste mean? Now, of course, people who go to yoga know uh, and probably several different definitions for it. The original Hindi definition, which comes from Sanskrit, script, um, and there are a number of different languages that come from there, but the original definition or the actual definition of the, of the word is, I bow to you. That's all it is, and it is purely a secular greeting. Now, what's interesting, so it's the equivalent of hello or goodbye in English. It's just a, it's just a Hindi way of saying hello or goodbye. Um, so that's purely secular um, and has no religious connotations at all. But when Westerners picked it up and Westerners started to bring Eastern religions to the West and when they started to bring you know, yoga and so forth, Westerners infused the greeting with religious concepts. Uh, so uh, this is not uncommon for a word to transfer from you know, one language to another and for the definitions of it to change. Let me ask how comfortable you feel with this. So the Western definition of namaste is the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Now that's a little bit different, isn't it? Um, another Western, de- there's a number of different Western uh, definitions here. I bow to the to the divinity within you from the divinity within me. Now, a Christian could say, "Well, you know, the Holy Spirit lives in me, and the Holy Spirit lives in you." But does the Holy Spirit in me bow to the Holy Spirit in you? I don't think so. Uh, and am I going to get to choose what the Holy Spirit does once again? I don't think so. Uh, another definition is the Spirit in me honors the Spirit in you, uh, or I bow down to the divine presence in you. And so this all comes from the concept of uh, you being divine, a divine being. Well, no, we are not a divine being. We need to have God living within us. Uh, this is this is not appropriate for a, a, a Christian from that perspective. If it was just a secular greeting, wouldn't have a problem with it, but Westerners have kind of ruined it from that perspective. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Kelvin Langman has uh, stepped into the co-host seat this morning. Kelvin, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are we? Oh, we're, we're doing just amazing this morning. And, of course, Kelvin comes in from time to time to share with us during the interview time um, all things weird, wonderful, and wacky that you'll find in the Bible. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, I'm not quite sure what Kelvin's going to come up with this time. because He always surprises us. But uh, Kelvin, seeing as you're here and Lawson is not, why don't you tell us some... Weird, wacky, and wonderful, maybe wonderfully, positively different news. I was going to say, I've got some positively uh, different news for you, and it's equally as weird and wacky. Um, This one is all about building and construction. Right. Um, We're used to building using transparent glass, but glass uses, it's it's quite bad environmentally because it uses lots of energy. Yes. So scientists have come up with a new type of glass. Guess what type of glass this is? I have no idea. Okay, it, so it's not made out of, like glass is made out of sand, right? Silica, yes, correct. Okay. 
So this right. is actually glass made from da, 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 wood. Wood? Transparent wood. Believe it or not. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. So they've realised how uh, inefficient glass can be, and to make it more efficient, they try and put dual panes in there. Um, but this type of timber is so much more efficient and so much more um, cost-effective like because you're not using as much energy to create it. Okay, so wait, 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 wait. Yeah, because an inch, an inch of uh, 25 millimetres of timber is more insulation than four inches of or uh, 100 millimetres of fibreglass bats. So wood is a really good insulator. Glass is a pretty terrible insulator, but that it, it, it is a bit of a heat trap. Yes, once it soaks it up, yes, yeah. it holds on to it. So here in the article they says that they've demonstrated, they, I haven't got any figures here for you, but it says they've demonstrated that transparent wood has the potential to outperform glass windows in nearly every way, making it one of the most promising materials of the future. So Trans, Transparent wood. Yes. All right. So this is sort of the kind of thing that I'm thinking of, like uh, maybe we will a, a, a product that we will use in heaven. Maybe uh, transparent wood. I don't know. How do we have transparent wood? I don't know. But the article it goes on to say about how it's five times more thermally efficient than glass. So whatever the thermal efficiency of glass is, this is so much better. So how do they how do they make this stuff actually transparent? How do you how do you see through wood? I mean, you, do they start with wood that is, or do they grow transparent trees? That'd be kind of a bit of a dangerous thing to be exploring the bush if all of the trees were transparent. You would be bumping into all kinds of things. That's right. But the article goes on to answer your question. It says that it bleaches nearly all the visible um, segment of the timber. The wood is then penetrated with synthetic polymer called polyvinyl alcohol or PVA. And that creates the product, which is almost completely transparent. So you were saying something a little bit earlier about uh, carbon and wood being full of carbon and diamonds being made of carbon and diamonds being transparent. Does this play into it at all? Um, well, diamonds use a crystalline structure to become – they become organised and – become transparent because they're crystalline structure. This is actually uh, using PVA to infuse in between the cellulose of the wood to make it transparent. So it's a similar process, um, not quite the same, but yes. I wonder, how, I wonder how flexible it is because glass is, you know, legendary for being brittle and, you know, breaking very easily and, you know, creating all kinds of sharp edges that can do you serious injuries. I wonder whether this stuff actually works better. It, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if you were to barge into it how flexible it would actually be. I wonder whether it's, I wonder if it's, I wonder if it's come, something similar to what they use when they're making movies and they have to, um, you know, jump through glass windows without getting damaged or hurt. Yeah, well, you want safety glass, don't you? Like, yeah. how much more safe would it be? Like how many people have cut themselves these days with PVA uh, infused into the timber? Like the, I would imagine there'd be zero safety risk. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so yeah, we're just um, noticing here that um, rather than slashing, it splinters. Or rather than, um, what should I say here, rather than shattering, it splinters. I, I guess that's what would happen because it's wood. Yep. I wonder whether it's flexible like wood. You could like have bouncy, flexible glass. You know, glass is not very flexible. 
hit a glass with, uh, with, yeah. it, with a cricket ball, it'll it's, only flex so far. Glass is, is what's called a polyamorphous liquid. It does bend very slowly over time. And flow. It flows, yes. Yes, I remember working on a house in Tasmania that had been built, I think, in the very, very early 1800s. And the glass at the bottom of the window was way thick and way thin at the top because, yeah, it's actually a liquid. Mm. And it was flowing. Yeah, we actually think that um, people were no good at making glass years ago because it can look quite lumpy and a little bit foggy to see through. But it's actually just the process over time. The glass slumps, so the surface no longer remains smooth. So if you could take the glass pane out, turn it upside down and put it back in the window, it should return back to normal shape over time. Ah, indeed, indeed. Anyway, a couple of, uh, couple of text messages coming through. So a text message here um, in reference to the story we did about uh, the priesthood earlier. Peter was a married man. Everybody who reads the Bible would know that. So why celibacy taken up by the Roman Catholic Church? It doesn't make sense since Peter is the reason they have a pope. He was their first pope, so he should be the example for all popes. And if his example is to be married, and all the popes were married up until like you know the first 800 years of the history of the church, um, then shouldn't they actually follow the example of their first Pope, Peter, who was a married man? My next story is all about out in space. So we've got Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin and all these other historic figures, astronauts that have been out into space. And there's one more object that has joined them. The right. object, you'll never guess, it's a fantastic edible object. Right. One that's very popular in our culture at the moment. And that one is da, 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 a chicken nugget. Right. It's important to send chicken nuggets to space, you know. Well, I guess space people need to eat, right? <laughs> yep. These chi- um, pictures, if you have a look on the website, they show these chicken nuggets being sent out into 110,000 feet and 880,000 uh Nuggets high, if you're measuring it in nuggets. Oh, okay, want, yes, 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 yes. Uh-huh. These experts uh, in the field of stratospheric exploration created the perfect vessel for the nugget to travel in, and they sent it to space in a meteorological weather balloon, and it was essential to carry this tasty cargo all the way up to the upper levels. Um, they used a design vehicle that had avionics, auxiliary satellite tracking, and integrated camera support taking video footage on its way up. So they spent a lot of money to send some chicken nuggets oh, in this, space. Yeah, yeah, this is very... It's, it's rocket science. We can't just... So wh- wh- we can't send a chicken nugget into space accidentally. We've got to do it with precision. I would just think I'd put it in my lunchbox and away I go. <laughs> you would think so, because once you get up in space, it'd just freeze anyway. Yeah. And that would transport quite nicely frozen. One, one would think so. The nugget was sent starbound from a location close to the head office in UK, supermarket chain, um, in near Deeside, North Wales, for any of you who are interested. Um, the leading direct, trading director of the chain said that 2020 is a huge year for us to celebrate our 50th birthday. And to celebrate their 50th birthday, they uh, wanted to show their customers how great their product was and to share um, the, uh, this iconic figure. Uh, by doing this, they were able to send one of their favourites into space, which is a chicken nugget. So there you go. There you go. 50th year celebration, send a chicken nugget. You too, when you turn 50, can send whatever you want into space. Why not? <laughs> uh, that'll be a couple of years away for me, so we'll have to try and figure out what to do when that uh, time comes. What am I going to send into space? I just do not know. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. 
positively different. Kelvin, what's happening in the world of everything unusual and things that you would not expect to find in the Bible? Well, I'm going to tease you. I, I want to chat about left-handed people in the Bible. Okay. But before we do that, I want to finish Ooh. off. Yeah, crazy. Why does the Bible mention left-handed people? What's so different about left-handed people? Okay. What's so different about right-handed people? What makes left-handed or right-handed people left or right-handed? Because you and I were recently in a discussion about this in which it was suggested that historically left-handed people were considered to be children of the devil. Yes, yes. And so that led me to do a little bit of sneaky research (laughs) while the discussion continued in the background. And it's actually very true. For hundreds and hundreds of years within Christianity, the Christianity of the Dark Ages, left-handed people were considered to be the spawn of Satan. Well, you've only got to go back previous to my generation. If you wrote left-handed, you got the cane. You got into trouble. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. The the amazing thing about the brain is that the brain can rewire itself and so many of those uh, kids did actually learn how to get by with their right hand, but what a struggle. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, But where I'm coming from, like, what does the Bible have to say about left-handed people? Can you remember what the Scripture says uh, well, I remember there was, uh, wasn't there like 600 men from the tribe of Benjamin who were slingers, who could sling a stone to within a hair's breadth? Correct. And they were all left-handed. Yes. And all of these men David hand-picked because they, they had done great and phenomenal feats. Yes. All part of being left-handed. That's right. And a left-handed military force back in those days had some significant advantages when you went up against a trained force. Yep. So if you were going up against a trained army, that would be an army that would be trained to fight a right-handed opponent. Yes. So if I'm right-handed and you're right-handed, we battle against each other quite in a fair manner. Yeah, on on, on equal terms. But a right-hander battling a left-hander... All of the tricks that he learns in training go out the window, yep. and he's kind of done. What's really interesting, when, okay, so we'll set that aside for a little bit and go and have a look at sports today. When you look at the percentage of people in sports that are left-handed, it's about 10% across the board, Yes, um, which is representative of the, of the population. But when you look at highly competitive sports, um, like it actually jumps up to over 50%. So people, like when you're t- playing tennis... Um, when you're looking at some of the other, like fencing, hockey, boxing, table tennis, baseball, they're all highly competitive, and a left-handed person has a higher, ad- a better advantage when you're in these highly competitive sp- sports. That's amazing. Who, who would have thought? Yeah, exactly. Who? Wow. So, because of that, um, left-handed people seem to have a very naturally competitive nature. Like that's whether it's their left-handedness coming out because that's the way their brain's wired, or whether they because they're left-handed, their brain becomes competitive. I don't know. There's there's not enough research in that area, but it does show. Like when you look at scripture, the Bible talks about all of these left-handed men were were extremely highly competitive. Like they, you had to survive to win, didn't you? If you're if you're going into battle, but. There are some other characteristics you can learn out of that as well. Um, all, all of these um, 
highly prized men that David had were all from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, I wonder how that worked. I wonder why, because this was the smallest of the tribes. Yes. And so you've got like 600 men from the tribe of Benjamin who are all left-handed. In a time when the population of Israel was not that big, that's definitely more than 10%. Absolutely, yeah. So you've got yeah one, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So you would expect it to be, if all of them were left-handed, you would ex- it would only be one-twelfth. But it's not. Like the amount of people that yeah, step yes. forward, the 600 men, like it, it's, yeah. And this is a tribe that was, you know, virtually wiped out from on, on one occasion at least. Yep, and then um, grew back. Yep. And, and grew back. So very, very small tribe. Mm-hmm. You've got, uh, did you know that um, right-handed people live longer than left-handed people on average? I didn't know that. Yeah, you get about two to three years longer if you're a right-handed person. Do you know why? It's because we live in a right-handed world and that makes left-handed people more prone to uh, traumatic accidents. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Predisposes them. Bit of, bit, of a, bit of a danger for left-handed people out there. You need to be on your toes. Yep. So being right-handed is associated, um, like when you, when you meet someone, you, you put out your right hand. So your right hand is your hand of peace, um, but it's also uh, a hand of trust because you're extending an open hand. But your right hand is also seen as your dominant... Well, most people being right-handed, your right hand is seen as your dominant hand, so you put forward um, strength. And, and, right, and in Scripture it says that um, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. So what's the right hand of God? What, what does it mean to be, if God's right-handed, what is his right-handedness? Well, you know, sometimes in, even in our modern English we talk about, you know, our right-hand man. Yes. Um, who would be the foreman in our company yep. or, you know, it's that similar kind of position. So you're saying that they are a leading person? Yes. A ruling person, someone that's an organiser perhaps? Uh-huh. Okay, so what else? Position of authority. Position of authority. In Scripture um, it talks about how it is the, the right hand of righteousness, God's right hand of righteousness. Ooh. So what is it to be right-handed and righteous? Okay, I'm, I'm thinking here uh, the, the power of God's righteousness. Yeah, your right hand is somewhat significant or equivalent with strength. Yes. Most people being right-handed, so your right hand is where you do most of your right-handedness with, so your, your strength is in your right hand. So if God's strength is his righteousness, what does that mean? Well, it means that God's strength. Okay, so if we if we if we're talking about strength, okay, let me let me just sort of uh, let me let me see where I can go with this. If we're talking about strength, and we're talking about the great controversy between Christ and Satan, and we're talking about okay, what is God's power with which He will defeat Satan? It is His character. God will defeat Satan with His character, with His love and his righteousness. His righteousness is His yes. character. He's righteous. Correct. That's and that's yep. how He will defeat Satan because He will say, "This is righteous. This mm. is unrighteous." I am righteous, Satan is unrighteous, make a decision. And because mm. people go look between the two and go, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with righteous because that has much better outcomes, then Satan is defeated by God's righteousness. But if Satan uses his left-handedness, what does that mean? Oh, I, I don't know. You know, have well, to help me out on this one. Here, here, when you do the research... Is this, is, this, is this why left-handed people ended up being called the spawn of Satan? Yeah, that there's a little bit of deception associated with left-handed, left-handedness. So when, if, if God is, is talk, spoken of as being right-handed, 
well, what does that make Satan? Well, Satan's equivalent or equated with left-handedness and deception, you see. Right. So this is where people drew a kind of a conclusion that the Bible doesn't teach. This is where it comes from, yes. Um, I wondered where that came from. That kind of makes sense, though. What's crazy, though, um, Satan in his kingdom has actually used what he believes is strength. Like his idea of strength is God's idea of weakness. Right. Yes. So God will never force. We, we think we, we think that God is a strong God, which he is, but his idea of strength is different to man's idea of strength, and it's different to Satan's idea of strength. Yes. So this right arm of righteousness, like he will never do evil, he will never do the wrong thing, and he, you can rely on him to be loving and caring, compassionate, like that's his character. So he will never use deception, he will never force anyone, he will never take away anyone's freedom. Okay, so then Satan has a right hand of force and deception. Yes. So that's our, that's our choice is we can go with God's righteousness or Satan's force yep. and deception. So if we understand that, how do we equate that to what the Bible says about left-handed people? Okay, what does the Bible say about left-handed people? Well, Apart from the tribe of uh, Benjamin that had a lot of them. So we had lots of left-handed people mentioned in the Bible. Um, the story of Ehud assassinating the Moabite king. He was a great hero, yes. Yep. Um, and it, there's also another two, two dozen ambidextrous warriors who came and supported David specifically in the battle in Hebron. And all of these left-handeds like, that I could find in Scripture were all from the tribe of Benjamin. But what's really interesting about the tribe of Benjamin, do you know what the, na- the name Benjamin means? I, I, not off the top of my head. Ben means son of. So I have a son. My son is named Benjamin. Ah, so, so you well the, know the name, the meaning of this name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Benjamin, Ben is son of. Jamin means um, son of my right-handedness. Son of, oh, sorry, yeah, son of my right-handedness, right? Son of my power and strength. Son of my strength and power. So, 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 uh, so you, are you right-handed, Kelvin? I am right-handed. Okay, so that kind of works for you. You're allowed to have a son named Benjamin. And then. I'm allowed to have a son named Benjamin because he's also right-handed. However, here's what's tongue-in-cheek. How come all of these people that are left-handed and mighty left-handed warriors come out of a right-handed... It's, it's quite um, ironic. And they, they all carry a title, a name of right-handedness, while they are actually left-handed. Yes. So it's a very big contrast. Like, I, I think someone had a, a big chuckle when they were writing this and including this in the Scripture. Like, the Bible is full of history, and it just records it as it is. But that's, that's strange, truth is stranger than fiction, I think. How could you make something up like that? That's right. It's like, son of my right hand, all of whose descendants are left-handed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and and the thing is, not only were they, um, not only were they left-handed in a group of right-handed people, but they were superior to right-handed people. Oh yes, absolutely. And you find a lot of left-handed athletes are actually far superior, and that's why they dominate and do so well in sports. And that's why I, I think, did not know that. Yeah, th- I did not know that. Yeah. So whether it's the competitive nature or not, I don't know. Like that's it's a very interesting thought. Maybe we should all be a little bit more ambidextrous than what we are. What tribe was Ehud from? I can't remember. Was he Benjamite? He was Benjamite. He was Benjamite. There you go. They're all Benjamites. Yep, absolutely. So there must be something genetic at some particular point with handedness. What if we could do some genetic testing? I mean, this modern era, we could do that, couldn't we? 
and find out what kind of yeah what are the what what's the left-handed gene yep what is that it, it'd be interesting to track it down and see which part of the chromosome and and you know what what is there could you make if you knew that could you influence someone into becoming genetically into becoming left-handed by changing their genes it's it's a very bit of uh, gene writing uh, mm, they, they, gene they, they, therapy. They, they do they re, they can rewrite genes these days. So maybe maybe this is maybe this is the future. Kelvin will be able to uh, sit down and uh, well, do, do I want my child to be right-handed or left-handed? Do I want them to live longer or be a great sportsman? <laughs> yep. So how crazy is that? Ah, very, very fascinating. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.